from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Turning a profit while protecting our precious resources. I don't ever wake up in the morning and not appreciate where I live. Meet one of the winners of this year's NCBA Environmental Stewardship Awards. French farmers appear to be ending their blockades. The latest on what the government is saying as protests continue to spread in other countries. And just how low are the latest cattle inventory numbers? USD confirms the smallest cattle herd in over 70 years. So when will producers start to rebuild? We'll have the answer today on Ag Day. When forecasters say we could actually see the rebuilding of the cattle herd right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when experience meets expertise. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. USDA released its semi-annual cattle inventory report on Wednesday. While most of the numbers came in close to estimates, it reinforces just how small the U.S. herd currently is. Ag Day's Michelle Rook is at CattleCon 2024 and joins us with a deeper dive into those numbers. Michelle. Clint, the numbers in the cattle inventory report are historically significant with the lowest cow herd since 1960 and overall herd numbers the lowest since 1951. And industry experts tell me that there's no signs of heifer retention yet, which is the first signal of herd rebuilding. One of the worst droughts in U.S. history is still being felt by the nation's cattle producers. USDA says the U.S. cattle herd now stands at only 87.2 million head. And market analysts say this cycle is different than 2014-15 as cow slaughter is still taking place. If you take heifer slaughter uh, plus cow slaughter for the last two years, 2022 and 2023, over 51% of all the cattle we slaughtered in this country were females. And that had not happened since 1986. We haven't even started the rebuilding yet. We're still in that liquidation phase. And, and it's not unrealistic to think we could actually continue to be in that liquidation through 2024. And they say there's no sign of herd rebuilding yet, evidenced by the lack of heifer retention. We came out with the, the recent January cattle on feed report that heifers as a percentage on feed was the the fourth largest we've seen in modern history. Producers are slow to expand with high interest rates, while some are trying to reestablish equity and Mother Nature also plays a role. I think most producers are being a little bit more cautious this time around just to make sure that that forecast is favorable for their area. I will tell you that when we looked at keeping more heifers back this year, what I could sell those heifers at I didn't keep as many heifers back because putting a little equity back in our operation kind of helps. And so this cattle cycle may have a longer tail than those in the past. I think we're still looking at, at late 2026 at the earliest before we see any, any potential for increased beef production. This expansion, so the peak prices probably don't happen before late 2025, maybe into 2026, or possibly even beyond that. And the calf crop was also the smallest in 82 years, again reinforcing the trend of tight supplies, keeping prices strong for a while. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. Now, NCBA also putting out the organization's policy priorities this year. They include a re-upping of the animal health provisions that were in the 2018 Farm Bill, along with advocating for increased funding for the vaccine bank to protect against 
foot and mouth disease, defending the industry against animal activists who want to end production and fight against what it sees as misguided Endangered Species Act rules. It also wants to advocate for tax relief for cattle producers. Coverage of the 2024 NCBA Cattle Convention on Ag Day is brought to you by Alltech. Alltech delivers smarter, more sustainable solutions for agriculture. Our diverse portfolio of products and services improves the health and performance of plants and animals, resulting in better nutrition for all. Last week was the first time since July of last year that more than half of the country was free from drought and dryness. That trend continued this week with 55% of the lower 48 now free of drought and just slightly more than 2% in the worst two categories. However, Northeast Iowa remains an area of concern as does portions of Louisiana and Mississippi. Now the drought monitor says portions of Texas, Louisiana and Mississippi saw more than eight inches of rain last week, which should help ease concerns going forward. And more rain is on the way for the Mississippi River Valley. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht has a look ahead. Yeah, basically setting up kind of two systems to come through a split flow within the jet stream ridge of high pressure back up here to the north and then we'll converge some energy uh, working from the west coast down to the south. That's going to pick up a good amount of uh, Gulf Coast moisture. Now there's already enough moisture out there with those temperatures being a little bit warmer than average and that's going to correspond to some on and off of moderate to heavy showers the good kind and when we start to get deeper into uh, talking about spring uh, you look at this kind of situation it's a setup for severe weather uh, in this situation where we are having a drought uh, we're looking at a lot of rainfall but spread out through our friday early saturday morning now you can see with this system extending back down here to the south and as we go into our saturday morning saturday afternoon it spreads more to the east but even that northerly component is going to keep some heavier showers around back into the gulf coast states look how far this bends back to the northwest that's because of this ridge of high pressure blocking and suppressing everything down here to the south as well we'll talk more about that coming up in just a little bit and while some folks may be hoping for an early spring this Groundhog's Day, areas of California could really use more snow. And I think they're going to get it over the next 7 to 10 days. California Department of Water Resources conducting its January snow survey warning of a possible snow drought. They report even though storms last month helped the snowpack, they're only halfway of where they should be for this time of year. Last year at this time, they measured more than 7 feet of snow in the Sierra Nevadas, uh, one of the largest snowpacks on record. Uh, the snowpack accounts for about 30% of the state's water supplies. A story we've been following for a while now. France's two major farmers unions have said they'll lift countrywide blockades. It comes after the prime minister introduced new measures aimed at protecting their livelihoods that they described as tangible progress. However, farmers who have blockaded traffic along major highways around Paris say they will stay put until they see the government commitments in writing. Thousands of French farmers have been demonstrating for a couple of weeks across the country. It's in protest over what they say are low earnings, heavy regulation, and unfair competition from abroad. Prime Minister Gabriel Attal has announced tens of millions of euros in aid, tax breaks, and a promise not to ban pesticides in France that are allowed elsewhere in Europe. And the protests have spread to other areas of the EU, with farmers in Portugal shutting down many of the borders with Spain using their machinery to block roads. In Brussels, farmers lit fires and dumped tires outside of the European Parliament as top EU leaders gathered inside for a summit. Producers also protested in Italy, blocking traffic 
outside of Milan in Tuscany. We told you one key issue NCBA will focus on this year is tax relief for producers, and one tax bill cleared a hurdle in the House this week. The House overwhelmingly passing the Tax Relief for American Families and Workers Act. The nearly $79 billion bill combines business incentives with the child tax credit. The bill's future now depends on its reception in the Senate, with some Republicans showing a reluctance to embrace that bill. The American Farm Bureau Federation is applauding the passage in the House, saying the legislation will bring meaningful tax relief to the nation's farmers and ranchers at a time of high interest rates and slim margins. The inventory numbers are in, so where are cattle markets headed in 2024? Michelle Rook talks to the folks over at Cattle Facts next. And later, meet a ranch family being honored for their work in environmental stewardship. We're off to Colorado in the country. Cattle markets climbing following that latest inventory report. Michelle Rook is in Orlando at the Cattle Industry Convention. She joins us with the latest on Thursday's trade. Joining us with market analysis, Kevin Good with Cattle Facts. And of course, Kevin, you guys released uh, your projections for prices for 2024 here at uh, the CattleCon 24. Talk about where you see prices headed. Well, as we go to this year, we're pretty optimistic actually with tighter supplies. We reduced the herd last year 2% again. So, which means as we go through this year, supply going to be favorable. Uh, beef production, we've got that down about 4% this year compared to last. We'll have a little bit of a headwinds as far as exports, probably down a skosh. Uh, demand domestically is still strong, but we're kind of pushing up towards the top end of the price range here. So, what we've got in store is we think Fed prices will average about 184 this year substantially higher than last. We've got yearling prices about 240 to 250, and we've got a calf value that'd be close to $3 when the year's all said and done. So pretty optimistic, but obviously, you know, mother nature's a headwind as far as we've got some drought areas that we need to, to clean up as far as get some expansion again. But uh, right now, prices look good. So how long of a tail does this cycle have? When you look at a 73-year low in the cattle herd, that bodes well for the future, doesn't it? Absolutely does. As we think about it, we really haven't stopped liquidating yet. So until you do that, you still have to say that we've got at least two, if not three years of tighter supplies in front of us. And with continued strong demand, that means prices should continue to trend higher for another two to three years. Yeah. At what point do you think producers will start to rebuild the herd? You know, prices are there today. But we've got to have better feed supplies, so we've got to have better better uh, weather. And so as that occurs, we should see some expansion start as we go through the rest of this year. A couple headwinds, though, as we think about labor availability, labor cost, obviously, interest rates, all those are a headwind, too. Volatility, will it be like we saw in 23, and what is that vote yeah. for our risk management? Yeah. You know, we should have a year that would be a little less volatility than we saw that second half of last year in particular. Uh, we would expect the market to have an upward bias late year versus the first part of the year just to think about going through tighter supplies over time. Risk management, probably options you know, and LRPs. You know, just get some protection under you and leaving the top side open. All right. Appreciate your time as always. Kevin Good joining us with Cattle Facts. We'll have more Ag Day careers. Boy, 
left off talking about the snowpack in the Sierra Nevadas. Uh, Nevadas. And uh, right now, we're going to continue to see that snowpack not only increase, but expand as that rain, that moisture continues to come through. Now, last year was near record high for those uh, locations. This year, everything's kind of been delayed. I think in terms of February, uh, the first couple of weeks of February, a lot of that moisture, a lot of that rain and cloud cover, as well as snow, will be back over here towards the west as things continue to dry out back into the plains and also the Midwest. Speaking of which, here's a look at the current snow depth. Uh, this is going to be eaten away even more. Uh, check this and this time next week. We'll look at the current snow depth and I expect a lot of this to be gone because of that ridge high ridge of high pressure building in. As for the Northeast, uh, the snowpack should be sticking around. Uh, the uh, warmer than average conditions, the well above average conditions are going to be back behind me. We're going to get a pocket of some cooler air back up into the northeast. And you can see why. This is a jet stream coming up uh, for Friday, the weekend, and next week. Pocket of cooler air, pocket of very warm air. And that's that ridge that we were talking about, that blocking pattern is setting up. Now, typically, uh, things just stay the way they are in blocking patterns. But the way this is shaping up, uh, this trough, this low pressure system is strong enough to find the weakness in this ridge and actually cut underneath it. So you have uh, a ridge up here to the north and a trough back down here to the south. And that's going to limit just how far the cold air typically associated with a trough extends across the United States. So that warm air is going to stay here. And as we get deeper into the month, February, that sun angle gets a little bit higher. So we'll moderate that air mass a little bit each and every day. Not like the spring or summer or even early fall, but enough to where it keeps the above average highs around in Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, while the southeast expecting cooler conditions, mainly because of rainfall and cloud cover. Now into next week, once that trough moves out, check out the ridge that builds in and across the United States, states Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. There's some cooler air back out here to the west, but not nearly enough to take us back down to average. We'll start off with uh, Greenville, Kentucky, partly cloudy high around 59 degrees. Greenville, North Carolina, mostly cloudy high around 63. Any idea what's next? Greenville, Alabama, high of 67 degrees. New technology could help protect your stored grain. It's a Smart Farm Friday next. And later, protecting the land while preserving the ranch for future generations. We're off to Colorado to meet one of this year's Environmental Stewardship Award winners in the country. How do you monitor grain in your bins? Maybe you open up the bin, give it a sniff, and check the level by banging a wrench against it. Well, now there are apps for that. One of them is AGI's Bin Manager. It has in-bin sensors or cables that record information. Now, farmers set their target moisture percentages, and the technology goes to work. You can get push notifications to alert you to any issues. Our Farm Journal Ag Tech editor says while farmers might see some sticker shock at the upfront cost. One farmer tells him it's proven to be a wise investment. And New Holland is introducing an autonomous baler, introducing IntelliSense bale automation. It is auto steering for automated navigation of the tractor and baler along the windrow. You can control speed and changes to the material feed rate into the baler along with setting the number of slices per bale. The new system is compatible with several New Holland tractors along with 2022 and 2023 model year New Holland big baler large square balers. Now starting next year, people can 
place orders for a factory fit option. Up next, a lack of rain has one Colorado ranch searching for ways to protect their pastures. And what they're doing is winning them some awards. We'll see it firsthand next. At CattleCon, a reception was held for the winners of the Environmental Stewardship Awards. The program celebrates outstanding cattle producers nationwide who NCBA says demonstrate innovative practices in safeguarding and enhancing natural resources. Now, we'd like to introduce you to one of the regional winners, Beatty Canyon Ranch in Kim, Colorado. Steve Wooten and his family are moving their Red Angus cattle through the red rocks of Beatty Canyon Ranch in southeastern Colorado. This 27,000-acre cow-calf operation has been in Steve's family for generations. The Wootens were early adopters of conservation practices. They've had to be, since this part of Colorado receives fewer than 14 inches of moisture each year. We're in an environment where we've got a lot of cactus, we've got minimal growth of, of forages and we have to plan continuously how we can stockpile those forages against an area that doesn't have an abundant moisture. With limited water and grass, Steve and Joy realized that a low stocking rate and good fences would allow them to rotate their cattle frequently, giving pastures a longer time to rest after grazing. We now have 36 pastures that we can rotate cattle through so that the majority of the ranch during the growing season, the cattle aren't on it. The reason why we rest the pasture is that when the cows go through the ranch and then the pasture gets rain on it, then it will grow grass and then the cows come back. It's super important to have water on each of these pastures and we have a pipeline system that runs from a pump and it's running several miles to water all the cows in the pastures. Putting tanks and strategically placing tanks in different areas of the pasture have allowed the cows to go and graze areas that predominantly they might not have grazed because there was no water. We took on projects and worked with partners to eradicate the tamarisk on us. The other element that's been encroaching over hundreds of years due to fire suppression is pinyon juniper. We noticed in the 90s that we were about half stocked on a lot of our pastures that were heavily encroached by juniper. So over the years we've been slowly using mechanical means to clear the juniper out of those deep soils that should be predominantly grass, but still leaving plenty of juniper for wildlife, for birds. The things we've done to improve the land and the water, we've seen a great improvement in the wildlife. We've seen more deer and bighorn sheep and turkey. At Beatty Canyon Ranch, stewardship and conservation is in their DNA. And the Wooten and Burnham families work together to carry forward a legacy that has lasted for generations. I love what I do because it fills my heart. It gives me great pride to see my kids and my parents all together. I don't ever wake up in the morning and not appreciate where I live. And just truly blessed to be here and to be part of this family and this operation. I do feel there's some big shoes to fill, but I'm willing to take up the challenge and carry on the legacy of the ranch and, and the family and pass it on to the sixth generation. It's the best life to be with your kids and to be in the great outdoors and to, to see God's creation every day. The land is everything to us. It's who we are. To say that, that I love this land is, 
even not enough of an expression of how we feel about this, how blessed we are that the Lord has put us in this position where we can be here, we can grow our family here, that we can leave a legacy behind. Congratulations to the folks there. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in from all of us here at Agdam Clinton. Have a great day.